Luke chapter 24, I'm going to start reading at verse 36. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. It says, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you ye in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, last week we started a, a, a series, you might say, about the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, or walking with the Spirit. So this morning, we're going to be looking, the title of the message is simply, Endued with Power, taken from there from verse uh, uh, 49, and so we're going to be looking at being filled uh, with the Spirit, or having the power of the Spirit. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that is ours to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, for that we have your word preserved for us and given to us in our own language. And I pray, Father, as we look into the word of God today, that we would allow the Spirit of God, who's the author of this blessed book, to teach us and instruct us. And to bring conviction where conviction is needed. I pray that, Father, there be any in our midst who have never been born again by the Spirit of God. I pray that today the Spirit would convince them of their sin and their need to repent and put their faith and trust in Thee. So, Lord, just have Your will in Your way and may You be glorified. May Your saints be edified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there is much misunderstanding and confusion and ignorance concerning the presence and power of the Holy Spirit among Christians. When a person is born again, Satan loses. He loses that soul who he's trying to condemn. But then, you know, there's two options he might, you might say he, he gives to leave them defeated and ineffective in their Christian life when concerning the Holy Spirit. The first one is, that the emotional excess or experience-oriented uh, idea about the Spirit of God that leads into false doctrine, charismatic, and Pentecostalism, all that, that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, somehow, some have this idea that there is some special feeling when you are filled with the Spirit. 
So like the fellow years ago, back in Pennsylvania, I was witnessing to him one day, and, and he, he was telling me about this experience he had in the hospital, and he'd had, he'd had a serious uh, surgery. It was life-threatening, and he had this surgery, and, and he had this experience during the surgery, and he talked to his pastor about it, and that's when he got born again. And then a little later on, he had this, one day he just had this warm feeling come over him. So again, he talked to his pastor about that, and he said, and his pastor told him, well, that's when you were filled with the Spirit. God deliver us from such pastors. So somehow this idea of some feeling, that's not the truth, as we're going to see this morning. The other option that the devil offers to us is just ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. And by doing so, we will grieve him, we'll quench him, we'll render his work in our life without effect, and therefore not have victory in our Christian walk. Neither of those is a, is a correct understanding of the Spirit of God. You know, the Bible says here that Jesus told his disciples that they would be endued with power from on high, in verse 49. This is, he's referring to here to the power of God. And the power of God is greater than any other power. Therefore, we should be able to overcome any sin in our life and be able to testify of God's saving grace in our life. That's what it was for. You know, he told them they were going to be witnesses, but he said, you, you wait for the promise from the Father and you be endued with power so that they could be an effective witness. You know, the word in do means, he has the idea of to, to invest in or to be clothed with. The, the, the idea is kind of like you shrink into a garment, and what you see is the garment. It's to assume or to put on. You know, if you were to, if you were to you know, I heard yesterday that the, the ladies had a really nice time with their, with their, uh, uh, ladies' Day, and they has some skits. And in those skits, what you do in a skit, you assume the character of someone else. So you kind of become someone else. That's really the idea here. The Spirit of God takes over your life. He empowers your life. He, you, you assume His character or the character of Christ. The Spirit of God, uh, Jesus said of the Spirit of God, He would glorify me. So, so the idea is to put on or assume the character of another. The same word is used, although it's a different word in English. In Ephesians 4, 22 and 20, 24, it says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on, and that's the word there in do, it's translated in do here in Luke, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So he, he, he promised, there's a promise given to us, to the disciples here, and that promise is given to us, that we would be endued with power from on high. Now I want to notice three things as we consider this this morning. The people and the power of the Holy Spirit, and then the promise of the power. So, first of all, the people. Jesus, of course, is speaking to his disciples in verses 46. He says, and he said unto them, Thus is written, thus behold Christ, the suffering to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. 
And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. You know, these were the disciples whom Jesus walked with for three and a half years. And, and, and you know, they, they, had, they went with him everywhere. They watched him do many miracles. They listened as he preached. They probably even took some notes along the way of what he did and what he said. Uh, they rubbed shoulders with him. You know, John says in his, gospel, or in his epistle, we've handled him, the word of life. You know, they... They had a close relationship with him. But Jesus here tells them that there's something that they're still missing, and until they received it, they should not go out and preach the gospel. Now think of that. They were to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promise from the Father. Now that may sound a little strange, a little bit backward the way we approach things nowadays. You know, we look at the masses of humanity and people around in our community and we say, we, we just got to go get them. You know, we just got to go get them. Um, and we don't stop and think, are we ready to go? Do I have the power? Am I prepared? You know, there were many people in Jerusalem that needed to hear the gospel, but Jesus said, you're not ready to go yet. There's something missing that you need to be an effective witness, and you wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power. You see, they were lacking the power of the Holy Spirit of God in their life, which would make them effective witnesses for Christ. But I want you to notice the second thing. I want you to notice the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to notice, first of all, what the power of the Holy Spirit is not. What the power of the Holy Spirit is not. In, you know, in verse 49 it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, until ye be endued with power from on high. Uh, what the power is not. First of all, the power is not performance. You know, the disciples could do all the things that they needed to do. I mean, Jesus taught them how to pray. He said, when ye pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be the name. I mean, he taught them how to pray. They'd ask him how, how, how we ought to pray, and he taught them how to pray. He had taught them how to preach. He had even sent them out two by two into the villages of, of Israel. He, he taught them all these things. They had even performed miracles. But they still lacked the power of God. You see, the power of God is not performance. We may be able to perform well. You know, one may, we may be able to speak well, or one could preach fantastic sermons. Some can sing beautifully. Some can witness eloquently. But all those things can be done in the flesh. You see, it's not performance. You know, if you go to a, see a performance or a play or something like that or a concert, it will, it will take place on a stage. That's why we don't call this a stage, because this is not to be a performance. This is a platform. You know, we're not to, we're not to teach or preach God's word 
just to impress people. And, you know, if a preacher's not careful, preaching can become a performance. You know, people are well, he's just a great orator, okay? But what does he say? Hitler was a great orator. He could sway the masses of humanity. He was a great orator. There's a lot of guys across the land that call themselves preachers, have great crowds, but they don't preach the word of God. See, the disciples knew how to perform, but they were doing it without the power of God. Secondly, it is not the promise. The power is not the promise. You know, Jesus gave them a promise that they would tarry, they would receive power from God, and, but it is not the promise. You know, we have to, you know, just because we believe in the promises doesn't mean we possess the power of God. We have to meet the conditions that God sets before us before that promise is true to us. You can know about all the promises in the scriptures that there are. And you may be able to quote them frontwards and backwards. But possessing those promises is, is another is something altogether different. Yo. Many people who have grown up in church heard all the facts about Christ. Have known all that. They know all the promises of God, but just knowing about it doesn't make you a child of God. We have to meet the conditions of repentance and faith to make those promises ours. You know, the rich young ruler knew all of the commandments of God. He knew them all. So it is not the promise. And it is not the presence. Now this may sound confusing to you, but it is not the presence of the Spirit. Now it does require the presence, but it is not the presence of the Spirit. Because the disciples already had the presence of the Spirit. If you look in John chapter 20 and verse 22, John 20 and verse 22, and I believe this is the same at the same occasion as Luke chapter 24 that we just read. But in John 20, verse 22, John records this of that occasion. And he said, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So he had given them the Holy Spirit. So they already had the presence of the Holy Spirit. And of course, you know, we know that you know when a person gets, is born again, uh, we you know, when 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 by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God takes up residence in that person's life. We have, if you are saved, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's more than the presence of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Those are two different things. The power can only be exhibited in our life as we yield to him and surrender our life to him. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's truly a blessing of God to know that we have the presence of the Spirit of God within us. But that presence, again, is not the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, John chapter 1, 
Jesus met Simon, who was also Peter. And Peter became a changed man. Uh, you know, the presence of Christ was there with him. He felt that power when Christ moved in his heart and changed his life. He became a child of, he, he became a child of God. But he lacked, he still lacked the power of God. He was afraid to witness and testify that he was, he was with Jesus. But you know, after that occasion when he was filled with the Spirit and received the power of the Spirit, he wasn't afraid to tell anybody that he was with Jesus. You know, I have seen people come to this church, sit and listen to the preaching of the Word of God, and I believe they sense the presence of God. And they're under conviction. But I've seen them, when heads are bowed at the invitation time, and everybody stands up, they leave the auditorium and go to the bathroom. They do not experience the power of God in their lives because they refuse to yield to Him. You know, Colossians talks about this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, if, if you are saved, the Holy Spirit lives inside you, but He cannot exhibit His power in your life unless you are totally yielded to Him. So does not the presence of the Spirit of God. Not the presence. Now this promise, I want you to notice in the third thing, this promise is from on high. Look at verse 49 again it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So this was the promise that was given to them by the Father previously. Now, uh, go over to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And this is where this promise is given in Joel chapter 2 in verse 27. Joel 2 27 says, And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the, earth, in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. And the sun shall be turned in darkness and the moon in the blood before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and, the remnant, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, this, what is this promise, of course, here that, that the Lord is speaking about? Now, this, this promise has a, this promise in Joel here has a, what we call a double fulfillment. Uh, the first fulfillment is a, is, 
what was called by theologians a fulfillment in minor. Uh, God does, you might say, in, in, in miniature, what he's going to do in major later on. So, so this, fulfill, this, this promise is fulfilled in two parts, you might say. Uh, and, and this promise, God is going to, to show the nation of Israel, there was coming a day he's going to show himself in such power and splendor, the whole nation would know it is of God. There would be no way of denying it. Everyone would know. Everyone's going to sit up and take notice. And, of course, the full fulfillment will be during the, what we, the period we, we call the tribulation just before the second coming of Christ. There will be 144,000 Jews from Israel going around the world preaching the gospel of Christ. And there's going to be only one explanation of that is it's the power of God. What they do accomplished is going to be such a great miracle there's a, that no one can deny it. Of course, that's the, that's the full fulfillment of that promise. But the partial fulfillment is on the day of Pentecost. And it takes place in Acts chapter 2. So go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And uh, let's look at verse 2. Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. Well, let's start with verse 1. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, now when this was noised abroad, and the multitude came together, and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed, and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein will we be born? Now drop down to verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants, on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And they, I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord shall come. And it shall come to pass, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, again, here's the partial fulfillment of what Joel was speaking of. And, of course, some of the, the moon turned into blood, and, and, and the vapor and smoke, and all that will take place during the tribulation period. That didn't happen in Acts chapter 2. But what did happen in Acts chapter 2 was these men prophesied in languages they hadn't been learned in. And every man heard the gospel in his own language. Can you imagine? Maybe there's a Chinese guy there. I don't know. It says there were Jews out of every nation under heaven. And he speaks Chinese. 
And all of a sudden, he hears one of the disciples speaking to him in Chinese. Now, none of the disciples knew Chinese. I doubt if even Paul knew Chinese. History tells us that Paul probably spoke six languages, but I doubt whether Paul spoke Chinese. It's possible, but I doubt it. But he wasn't in that crowd in that day. He wasn't even saved yet. No, but but this this Chinese Jew heard the gospel in his language that he understood. And of course, you know, the word tongues simply means, it's an old English word, it means language. And of course, you have the different nations that are listed there in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2. Uh, so there were literally people from all over the known world, and, and, they, and, and, and these people heard the gospel in their own language. And of course, the reaction was that, of course, they were, they were confounded or they were confused. They couldn't believe what they're hearing. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They're just standing there in awe, and, 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 and so they, some thought maybe they were drunken. Peter says, no, we're not drunk. You see, the gift of tongues was proof that the power of God had come down on the disciples. Tongues was a sign to the Jews that the things the apostles were preaching were from God. You know, the miracle of the day is not that the disciples spoke in tongues, but that 3,000 people got saved and were baptized. That's the miracle of the day. You see, this was a promise. This was promised of the Father that there would be transforming life-changing power given to his apostles as witnesses to his resurrection. And of course, this was given to the disciples. Uh, you know, he told them this, this promise would be to you. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, he made, he made references, you know, Jesus during his earthly ministry made references to those promises. In John 14, verses 14 through 16, uh, Jesus said, If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I will, and even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him not. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. So Jesus had made this promise to them long before that when he left them, he would send the comforter to them, the Holy Spirit. And he would be with them all the time. You know, this was kind of a new thing to the disciples, something that they had not experienced before. Uh, and of course, today we understand that when, when a person is born again, the Spirit of God takes up residence in that person's life. He, he indwells them. In John 15, and uh, John 15, uh, in verses, verse 26, again he says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. 
And then in chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I will part, depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will prove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, and of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. And of course, we know that you know, Paul's told us that the Spirit of God dwells in us. He abides in us. That God abides in us by His Spirit. And so, this was given, this promise was given to His disciples. And it's given to us. After all, we are His disciples. But this promise is given to empower was given to empower them for witness. Look again at our, at our text. In verse 48, And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, again he tells them, But ye shall receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. And again, he had told them to tarry there until they would receive this power. So the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming on believers was to, is to empower them for witnessing. It's to empower us for witnessing. You know, the gospel is not some self-help course. It is a message of spiritual transformation which requires supernatural power to receive. Look at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 4 says, But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, Brother Hoyle mentioned this morning, during in prayer requests for this Braxton Lee. That he wasn't, didn't feel drawn yet. He's interested, but he doesn't feel drawn yet. You know what that drawing is? You know, Jesus, Jesus said in John 6, No man can come to me except the Father draw him. You see, that drawing is the Spirit of God convincing and convicting. And he is sent into the world. He, he is taken into the world by us. You know, Jesus said in John 16 that he is going to give the Spirit of God to us and he, and he would reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He would draw men to himself and he does it through us. We take him into the world. He's in the world in us. But it's not some self-help 
help course that you can just simply, by your, your, your wisdom, convince somebody that they need to be saved. No, they need the Spirit of God to draw them. This is the work of God that only God can do. You see, only God can give life. I know man's trying to trying to, to find a way to create life. Science is trying to you know create life. But they can't do it. Only God can give life. And only God can give spiritual life. Therefore, it is only by the power of God that a person is born again. It's not how well I preach or how well you can give the gospel. Without the Spirit of God working in that life through you, it's all in vain. And therefore, Jesus said to them, you tarry right here until you be endued with power from on high. Oh, they knew, all, they knew what to do. They had it all in their heads. They already had the Spirit of God. But they didn't have the power of God. You see, this power is not, it's not tongue speaking and all that. No. No, it's, it's, it's simply God working in our life in order to affect others. You know, you know, if the power of the Spirit of God is working in your life, it will affect others and your relationship with others. Sometimes we can get caught up with what we get out of our, out of our faith, our benefits. But we didn't get saved just to get the benefits. The Lord didn't save us just so we could sit back and enjoy the life that we have in Christ. No, the Lord saved you so that you can be giving and, of course, in the midst of that giving, you will also be receiving. Jesus gave, but through his giving, he received. And the power of the Holy Spirit is, is so that you and I can be used in the lives of affecting others. It is not what God can do for me, but for me to affect others, to transform me, to affect them uh, that they might have life and life eternal. You see, if we're going to be effective as a witness for Christ, we must have the power of God demonstrated in our life. You know, it is not just simply knowing all the facts. You say, well, preacher, how do we really, how do we, how do we tap into that power? Well, it can't be purchased. Simon thought it could be. It can't be worked for. How do we get it? Well, go to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6.
Romans 6. Verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planned together in the likeness of his death, we shall be, also be in, shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Of course, we're talking about salvation here. We've... we've We've died to self, resurrected to new life. Again, the idea is surrender. He goes on, verse 11 says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But here's the key. But yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You see, the way we receive the power is by yielding to the Spirit. And I don't have time to read all this in the book of Romans, but in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, For if ye live, uh, verse 12, Therefore, brethren, be not debt, we are not debtors to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, that word word mortify has the idea of putting to death, giving up, surrendering, getting rid of, not heeding to, mortifying, considering them dead, the deeds of the body, your flesh, your own ambitions, your own desires, your own ways of doing things, your own ways of thinking. Seeking yourself, the things of self. If you do, through the Spirit, mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God. You know that word led means to really be controlled by And again, this isn't some warm, fuzzy feeling. What this really is, is simply yielding to God, obeying His Word as He directs, as He commands in your life. It's not really that complicated. We make it complicated. We think there's got to be some special feeling. No, it's simply obeying what we know from the Word of God. And by the way, we've got to be in the Word of God. That's one of His commands. So that we can learn what His commands are. How we ought to conduct ourselves. And of course, it also has the idea, if we're yielding, we've got to be asking God, alright, Lord, show me what's wrong in my life. A bad attitude I had. You start asking God to show you, be prepared. If you really want God to show you, be prepared, because He will show you. I want you to think about something. From the day that Jesus ascended back to heaven until the day of Pentecost was how long? No. The day between the ascension and Pentecost. Huh? 
it was 10. Okay, he ascended, I believe, on the 40th day after his resurrection, and it was the 50th day. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the way it is. Anyway, 10 days. Okay, think about this. Meeting together for 10 days, and all they were doing was praying. What do you think starts to happen in their lives and in their minds? If you're going to pray for 10 days straight, and that's all you're doing, meeting together and praying, you're really going to start searching your heart. I remember Ron Tottingham telling about having all-night prayer meetings. He was over at Calvary a few years ago for meetings. They'd have all-night prayer meetings once in a while at the church. And he said usually it was after midnight or somewhere where the men would start really breaking down. When he said when he meant breaking down, really getting honest with God and allowing God to search our He said it would take some time before they would really get to that place. And really you know, allowing God to examine them. Can you imagine doing this for ten days? I believe there would have been some real soul searching in the lives of the disciples. Not only rejoicing in the promises of God to them, but also searching their own hearts and realizing that I'm nothing. You know, Jesus has told them, without me you can do nothing. But you know, so often we think, oh, we can handle this. We can handle this. We can perform. We can do it. I mean, we're good at it. I mean, I've been preaching for 30 years. You know, you can get good at it. I'm a trained musician. Not me, but you know. Uh, I'm a trained musician. I can do this. But does it have the power of God? See, we can do all these things, all these things, without the power of God. But for us to be effective, we need His power, because we are talking about life-changing experiences. Being a person, being born again, getting new life, and that new life comes from God. And we can have this power, but it's we're going to require that we are yielded to him, allowing him to lead us in this word we don't like, control us. But it is for our good and for his glory. You know, is the transforming power of God evident in your life? You know, the Christian life is about transformation, overcoming sin, being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Is the power of God at work on your life, or are you just trying to do it in your own strength? You know, we can have that power, but this power comes by yielding, by yielding. Have you yielded yourself to him? 
You know, maybe you don't have the presence of the, maybe you don't sense the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. If you don't sense the presence of the Spirit of God, you need to be born again. Endued from on high, we can have his power.